Isaiah 55, God's Word will accomplish all that He intends, and uh, that is one of my uh, life uh, promises that I cling to. I, I, I've counseled with pastors who've quit the ministry, and uh, I, oh yeah, junior church can be dismissed at this moment, thank you. All right. Uh, I've counseled with pastors who've wanted to uh, quit ministry, and, and uh, I can sympathize with some of the... Uh, reasons why they might have that sentiment at some level. There was one occurrence where the pastor made this comment, and, and it just, I, I, I tried to encourage, but it also jumped out at me. He said, these people can't change. They won't change. And, you know, as, as I was speaking with him, I was like, but they're under the Word of God every week. How can they not? Uh, because God's Word says it will not return void. How can they not change? I mean, uh, they have other things they could be doing on a Sunday morning than coming and listening to you speak God's word, and if they come, and if they listen, how can they not change? Now, I understand that if I as a pastor feel you guys are too gossipy, and I craft a sermon against gossip trying to get you to stop, okay, uh, that is not me preaching God's word, that's me using God's word to craft a message I'm trying to get to you, okay? It does not work well to use this as a coward's castle to talk to people that you have a problem with. If you have a problem as a pastor, you go right to them, right? Uh, so the unwritten contract we have here is each week I preach whatever passage is next. Now, as I preach, the number one person in the crosshairs of that passage is Pastor Tim. Uh, I am seeking to be changed by the text as I prepare the message and then while I preach the message because I need that. In, in fact, if God's word would sanctify the pastor of a church... That goes a lot farther in the health of a church than if he sanctifies the person in pew number seven near the center of the aisle. You know what I mean? The pastor needs the word of God. So as I preach, I, I need to be the number one target of the text. And, and I need to be looking for change in myself, number one. And, and so when I get to one of those texts that deals with one of my besetting sins, some of those things that dog me, some of those attitudes that I have, some of those thoughts that I think or things that I say or things that I do, I need to let fly and I need to preach. And I need to be convicted and I need to repent. There might be a time as well where I'm preaching some passage and I know of some individual who is struggling with that. I am not preaching at you. I do let fly, just as I would if it's my sin that's up in the text today. But, uh, but uh, going back to the, the, the pastor who just said, my, my people won't change. These people won't change. How can they not? If they're hearing the word of God, how can they not? I just, uh, I, that, that, that just isn't, doesn't square with the text that we have before us today. Yeah, and the other thing is this. A pastor can finish a sermon and see no change. And that's because some of the biggest issues that you have, you are really good at hiding. Because I am too. We're just really good at hiding our problems. But I can preach the Word of God and a marriage might be saved from divorce that week. A suicide may not happen that week. Or it may have caused someone to cut off a secret sin that nobody knew about, a secret stash, a secret provision, a secret way to access stuff that's wicked or to do things that are evil. And a person may walk out of here uh, obviously never having told anybody about any of that stuff and just cut it off in repentance. I will never see that. I trust as I preach God's word that happens. So today's text 
is a text on which, to which I cling and a text on which I base my entire life of ministry. If God has kept me alive to declare his word this morning to you, then I have not lived this life in this week in vain. Uh, there's purpose. We're sharing the word of God. And it will do things in my heart. It will do things in your heart. So let's look at this today in, in uh, Isaiah 55. And let's go all the way back to last week and just see the first, uh, first five verses, uh, how gracious God is towards sinners. The invitation, you're going to see the verb come four times in the first verse. You're going to see all this invitation, God saying to sinners, come to me. I am compassionate. I will forgive your sins. I will heal you. Listen, look at verse, uh, verse number one. I'm in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break, uh, break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, we thank you that your ways are higher than ours. You are merciful. You are loving to sinners, to those who deserve nothing from you except punishment. You extend mercy and the opportunity to repent and to have full compassion and forgiveness. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that we have your word today to guide us. I pray that you'd help me as uh, one who shares to, uh, to stick to the word to not preach my ideas, but to unfold what your word is saying. And God, we trust you in this. This is your work. Your word will not return void. Uh, it will accomplish everything in hearts that you intend. And so, God, to this we, uh, we, we cling and we delight. This is your work, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we begin here this morning, and you will probably want to pull out your outlines from your bulletin. There's some extra verses that you could take home, and, and we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, extra verses on the back that we won't go through, but, but they are, uh, I, I will call your attention to them in a bit. As we begin, there's a call to faith and repentance. And uh, this call to faith and repentance are the conditions for which God will pardon your sin. 
God freely gives salvation, but, but there is a response that is required. And uh, this really we covered last week, but it just bears repeating. Uh, it's, what's also interesting about this is so many people say, how were people saved in the Old Testament? And they mistakenly think, well, they were saved by keeping the law of Moses, and that is not how they were saved. Even the law of Moses said, come to me and let me circumcise your heart. That is not a medical procedure, if anybody wondered. That is a spiritual reality that God is going to change your heart. He said, let me take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so here we have in the Old Testament, here's how a person is saved. Here's how a person uh, is saved from hell and into God's presence eternally. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will, he will abundantly pardon. Uh, that is the salvation message in the Old Testament. And as Romans uh, says in Romans 10, how, how will they call upon him who, in whom they have not believed? To call upon the Lord, in verse number 6, call upon him while he is near, is to have faith that the Lord is hearing you, that the Lord will save you. To seek the Lord is to approach him. And notice in verse 6, he may be found. He is near. We have a God who is near to sinners. He, he has not written you off. He has not, not stiff-armed you. Now, there is a bit of a warning that you need to do this while he may be found, while he is near. There is an indication that our God is a person. Not a human, but he is a person. God the Father, God the Son is human and, and deity. But God the Father is not human. He is a person, though. And, and he does interact with humanity. And there are seasons in which he is near, in which he is inviting. And then there are points at which he does write people off. We saw that with Pharaoh. We saw that last week as we read in Romans 1, that God can write people off to their sin. So you do need to respond to the Lord while he is speaking to you. But, but you can do so. You can seek him. You can call upon him. Verse 7, it does involve this heart attitude toward your sin of repentance. Let the wicked forsake his way. Does that mean a Christian, uh, a believer in the Old Testament, a Christian in the New Testament, does that mean that they never sinned again? Uh, that they never sinned that besetting sin ever again? No, they, 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 they still struggle. But there is a hard attitude of turning away from sin, of forsaking it. And even the thoughts in verse 7, the unrighteous man is to forsake his thoughts. Our thought life. Uh, we do not want to share our thought life. If technology ever can read our brain and give a printout, of what we were thinking all week, uh-uh. Uh, you know, uh, we don't want that. We don't want other people to know. Well, the reality is God knows. And so we not only forsake our wicked deeds, our way, but we forsake our wicked thoughts, and we return to the Lord, and we see there there's that compassion, love and mercy rolled together, compassion. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. There's, there's no stinginess with God. And so the first application today is this. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you called upon Jesus? If you're calling upon Jesus to save you, that means you believe you're resting on him. You believe that he can save you. You do need to come to that point individually where you make that decision for yourself, that you will forsake your wicked ways, and you will approach Jesus, and you will call upon him. God will abundantly pardon. Nothing stingy here. Abundantly pardon. God offers this corrective to, his, to our thinking as he offers this. His ways are not our ways. They are higher than our ways and thoughts. It's interesting because uh, when this was written, they didn't have telescopes, they didn't have space probes going off into space looking at how big the heavens are. 
they just had the naked eye. They could see 10,000 stars or so by the naked eye. But, uh, but if you wanted to express how different, how far away God's thoughts are from ours, you know, uh, you would use the distance from earth to the heavens. And, and so look at verse number 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This was written under inspiration by people who could just look up into the heavens and say, man, that just seems infinitely distant from me right now. That seems so far away. They had no idea. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm not sure there's an end to the universe. Uh, the, the heavens, plural, if you're going to talk about the uh, full expanse, it, it could very well be infinite. And do you know how different God's thoughts are than your thoughts? Infinitely different. Infinitely higher. Infinitely more merciful. Beyond anything that human beings could begin to pack into our own minds. Just understanding the difference. Now, this difference between God's ways and ours ways, does it have to do with sin or does it have to do with his merciful forgiveness? I'm going to go with both because he's talking about us being forgiven from our sin and he's talking about his abundant mercy. In terms of sin, see, we tend to justify and say, I'm not that bad. And that's because we compare with each other. Uh, you know, or in this room full of 100 or 150 people, we, we find one person and we're like, yeah, you know, when I look at how my life's gone versus how his life has gone, <laughs> I'm not that bad. God is infinitely holy, perfect, righteous, infinitely different in his ways in regard to sin. In terms of forgiveness, if he's talking about, you know, just forgiveness here, you know, God is merciful. We get angry. We get bitter. We feel that there's no way. There's no way I could forgive that person. After what? No. I mean, there's just, there's, there are just limits in life. And so we place limits. We even look for vengeance. God is merciful. So first you need to understand God is not inclined toward your sin, toward your depravity. Thus he calls for repentance in verse number 7. Uh, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So you th- might think you're not bad. You might think, oh, yeah, you know, God kind of understands and maybe even approves. At this, at this moment, he approves of this little sin because it's not that bad. It's very justified. No, 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 no. Infinitely above that. There is no opportunity for you to sin and, and have God be pleased at that. Whether proud thoughts, when you think of the thought life, our deeds are evil, but even our thinking, proud thoughts, angry thoughts, thoughts that are fornication, sexual pleasure outside of the bonds of marriage, evil suspicions, thinking the worst of people, greed, thoughts that material goods and money can bring comfort and security and give us meaning. It's all a modern form of idolatry. Our thought life is wholly inadequate. So that's on the sin side, on the mercy side again. God's compassion and forgiving ways are above human ways. Human beings are really good at holding on to grudges. We do not let go of offenses, much less forget them. Oh, no, we remember. And we punish through coldness, through distance, through wishing ill will. And then when the hammer of hardship falls on somebody, we just have a little party in our hearts. A little celebration. 
At other times, we just plot our revenge. Our family just started watching a, a, a series of, of uh, the businessmen of the Industrial Revolution and just how unscrupulous and vengeful and evil some of them were. They do have all, one, all have one thing in common. They're all dead. And you might think, oh, yeah, it's too bad that we don't remember them better. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't care about how people remember me. I would care about Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Once to die. That means no reincarnation. That, that's not a Christian doctrine. The Bible, the, the Bible negates that right there. It is appointed unto man once to die. No second chance. And after that comes the judgment. These evil, wicked, scrupulous, very skillful men placed in the op point of opportunity to take some risks and reap the rewards all face judgment today. Human beings, can, and, and, and boy, if you got on, on their radar for vengeance, you were toast. Human beings are very good at vengeance. We can find it very hard to have compassion, um, even on people who have done us no wrong. Uh, you know, we look at some wicked people around us and we're like, we just struggle to have any compassion. They made their choices. They started doing this and that and it led to this and that. And we could just be cold and without any compassion. God's way is not our way. He is a redeemer and he is forgiving Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, God's ways are inviting to sinners. So two quick applications before we leave this point on self-righteousness. The first way you need to make sure you know your ways are not God's ways, that he is infinitely above you, is you cannot think that you can earn your own way in salvation. Um... The, um, that, that would be a misperception. To think, you know what, if, I, if I'm just good enough, if I just clean up my act, I could be good enough for God, and the scales will be weighed, and I'll be weighed good enough, whatever that is. You will not find that doctrine in the Bible. You will not find the measurement for good enough in the Bible. That whole approach is like beating your wife and buying her flowers and chocolates. Uh, you, you, you don't remove the offense you don't make up for what you have done against God. So you need to forsake self-righteousness. There is no way that you can clean yourself up to God's standards. He is perfect. He is holy. He does not allow sin in his presence. For you to be in his presence is going to take his work. And it happened through Jesus Christ. Christ died for our sins. The other self-righteousness is the one that claims Jesus as Savior, but acts as if you earned him. By failing to show mercy, by failing to extend mercy. It's as if these other people are just too ignorant or too wicked to be among the blessed like yourself, to love Jesus and to really deserve Jesus and, and, and to just go through your life without any mercy, without any compassion. God showed his love while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. His ways are higher than our ways, infinitely. God's word reveals his ways and consists of promises that will not return empty, but will accomplish all that he has purposed. This is the song that we just sang, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven 
And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is always true. When God's word goes out, it always accomplishes what he intends. It always brings forth fruit of some kind. Um, this point would probably kind of stick a little better with us if we were raised in an arid nation like Israel. They had the former rains, the latter rains, and when they got rain, they get a lot. And uh, even if you were raised, some of you out in the desert, uh, you know, of, uh, of, of the western United States, when the rain comes, I am told, it, the desert comes alive. And it just, it happens. We saw it a little bit this summer. Remember when the, su the, the grass got gray and dry and we no longer had to mow? And then we got like some, some really good rains and it just, everything greened up. Everything changed. It just can't help but not change. When you dump that much water on the land, that's what happens. Um, the the uh, top picture here is Beersheba. And I wish I could just have a picture of Beersheba after the uh, rain. This is, uh, we were just there and, uh, and, and, and took this picture and then uh, on one of our church tours. And then uh, on down below is the uh, Valley of Jezreel, Jezreel Valley. And it has modern irrigation. But, uh, you know, it, it's the same region of the earth. But, man, when you apply water, it, it just wonderful things happen when the rain falls. And, and, it, and it does happen. It always happens. Um, the other picture was the snows. And, and the, in Israel to the north, you have Mount Hermon. And the snows melt into uh, Ein Dan. This is the spring Dan. And uh, around the spring, we were there in the early part of the year when the leaves were just setting. Uh, they do drop off even in Israel. But, the, so, but, but this greenery that you see, it's, a, it's, it's along the river uh, where the snow melt is coming. And all around it is brownness and dryness. So the snow, the rain, they do these things. If there is rain, there is growth. It just happens. Even so with the word of God, if it is given, there is accomplishment. God does something. As I said earlier, this statement in Isaiah 55, 11 is a cornerstone of my drive to serve as your pastor. So shall my word be that goes out of from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And I never know what God's purposing, but it will accomplish it. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I don't know what that thing is in your heart. But I know it will be accomplished. As a pastor, to the degree that I come here today to entertain you, showing you what a dynamic personality I am, uh, that is vain on many levels. It's vanity on my part, but it's also vain in terms of empty. See, uh, God's word would not return empty. But, but, but shows of dynamic persona would. To seek to present myself to you today as an intellect would be vain on many levels as well. But to the degree that I am reading the scriptures and explaining the sense to you, I have here the promise that our gathering is not in vain. Rather, it is eternal. This is a key reason why you, if God has gifted you with the ability to teach and believers around you think, yeah, I would think you'd be a good teacher, you should teach Sunday school. You should teach junior church. You should teach uh, vacation Bible school. 
Why? Because uh, that time that you spend preparing and teaching will not be in vain. If you're faithful to the Word, if you're presenting Bible-saturated lessons to young people, it will not be in vain. It will achieve everything that God has, and you should desire to be a part of that. This is why you should have encouraging relationships in the uh, aisles and the foyer and in your homes and, and in activities with other believers here in the church. This is why you want to talk about the Word of God. And, and in some cases, you will quote the Word of God and say, this is how I would apply this in your situation. Other times, you'll give a word of testimony and, 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 and use some Scripture. It will not return vain. Your discipleship, your encouragement of others. Discipleship is kind of a big word. Let's call it encouragement. And you don't have to preach a sermon. You just have to live the truth of God's word and, and encourage other people with a word of, of how God has worked and how he is blessed. This is also why you want to find your voice in sharing the gospel. Um, we all need to find our voice. We need to at least begin a conversation with people. If, if, if you're like me, when you came to the Lord, there was a dozen, half to, for me, about half a dozen people that were involved in bringing me to Christ. Uh, one was my great-grandma who just lived out a comfort with dying and said, no, I'm, I'm rather eager to pass from this life and to be in the presence of my Lord and Savior. And I might have been 8 to 10 years old. I don't remember. That just seemed so odd. <laughs> it just seemed odd. But it was powerful. And, and so what is your voice in sharing the gospel? It might be just simply as somebody makes some statement, you just say, oh, Jesus? <laughs> he is actually uh, the most important person in my life. It may just simply be a, a word of affirmation that causes them to stop and say, oh, yeah, that person actually takes Jesus seriously. It may also be in quoting a scripture. And I find being a Baptist to be very helpful. If you're visiting here today and you're E-free, you'll find being E-free in Minnesota to be helpful. Anything other than Lutheran or Catholic, because anything other than Lutheran or Catholic must be cultish. Uh, it's just like, hmm, you know, Missionary Alliance, what is that, right? And, and so, uh, you know, if, if you're from an evangelical uh, gospel-preaching church, I find that to be an advantage. If it comes up and, and I have to admit I'm a Baptist... That's an opportunity. Yeah, I go to Cornerstone Baptist Church in Pine Island. And, uh, and oh, okay. And I'll be like, what do you know about Baptists? And, uh, you know, oh, not much. And, 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 and for me, that, that, that's, that's where I find my voice. I say, you know, here's the thing with Baptists. We're not the only ones who believe this, but this would be a key doctrine in any Baptist church that I would go to. And that is how do we get to heaven. Some people believe and teach that if you go to church enough, give enough money, uh, uh, be good enough that you can earn your way and somehow you might be okay if you do enough stuff, do enough religious stuff, and Baptists fully reject that teaching. Anything we do is out of thankfulness for the salvation God freely gives in Jesus Christ. And so a key doctrine at our church would be if you want to be saved from your sin, you need to turn from that, turn to Jesus, and believe in him. And along the way, I might even share some scripture. Twice this year I had men interrupt me when I said, oh, you know, some churches believe that if you try to be good enough, you might get to heaven. He goes, well, that's me. I had two men do it, just jump right in and say, that, that's me. That's what I just, I figure if, I, if I'm good enough, I, 
you know, if I, if I try hard, I'll be good enough. And I'll be like, can I take, and this is where cell phones are amazing, right? Can I take you to, to a scripture real quick? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that's on the back of your, and, and, and walk through that. And, and if we really get into a conversation and they're really open, by the way, at any point, if some person is like, hmm, you know, this is one of these religious talks. I don't want anything to do with this. Just say, oh, I see you're not, you're not really interested in this, are you? And they could say, yeah, I'm not. Or they could say, no, no, no. And they'll drop the facade of being above it all, and they'll engage. But respect people. Respect what they want. If they don't want to hear it, Jesus never chased anyone down the street. I have two more points. He never did that. Okay? And, and so uh, he, he said, go and sell everything you got. And you, know, you think you're righteous? You think you're good? Go sell everything you got. Give the poor. Let's see how good you really are. You know, he challenged them and, and, and wrote them off if they did not receive him. And so, um, but, but uh, I, I would just really encourage you that, and, and that's why I put these verses uh, back there. Some of them are just so helpful. Uh, Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die after this, the judgment. Um, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short to the glory. These are verses that you should memorize and be ready to quote. Longer ones, like there's one from Romans 3.19 through 23. Well, that, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to turn to that myself. Yeah, some of you have better memory work than me, but I, I've, my mind's going in five different directions, and if I'm not focused on memorizing and quoting just that in that moment, I've got to turn to it. But that's where, as bad as these things have been, that is at least one redeeming um, opportunity with them. Uh, these cell phones. So I just want to encourage you that uh, every time you do this, that you try to find your voice in sharing the gospel, it will get easier and it will get uh, more fun. <laughs> it's just a delight to see people who love to, who want light. They want truth. They want direction. And they want it from the word of God. And even when they don't trust Jesus, God's word has still accomplished everything that he intended because he showed himself to a sinner as merciful, gracious, and inviting. Did you see that first verse we read today? Come, 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 come. Uh, buy without price. Uh, let me Receive from me what I have for you. God is so gracious. He's so merciful. And he's revealed himself in nature, Romans 1 teaches us. He's revealed himself to, in nature to all mankind. They can tell there is a God if they open their eyes and have hearts to see. And he has revealed himself in his word through the prophets, but ultimately he revealed himself through his son. And then at their great white throne judgment, when God brings all of this to their awareness all at once, all of their sin, all of their opportunity, you are going to be in that scene as well. I brought my daughter to you, and she put her reputation on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you would probably think low of her, think less of her, and she shared this scripture with you. She spent a piece of her life, a little piece of her life, to share my mercy and my love for you, and you stomped all over it. Hell is all the more deserved. And God is all the more glorified in condemning such a person to hell for your participation in it. And so sometimes the word of God can do what it did to Pharaoh, just harden hearts. And it would be good for you to have opportunity to be a part of whatever God's program is in any heart. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed 
to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word, we need to use God's word. It will not return void. Find your voice, even if it's a small voice, even if you're just the first of 17 people who are going to share Christ in some way with this person, find your voice. I was with one of you this week, and you used your voice to share the gospel. It was a beautiful thing. And uh, praise God, it isn't just need to be a part of that. A closing hymn in this chapter celebrates the glorious exodus God is bringing to his people Israel. Verses 12 and 13. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing, and the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I take this to be metaphor. Trees don't have hands, so I'm taking this to be hymnody and metaphor. Uh, the reality of what it means is nature is going to be turned for us. Look at verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up cypress. Instead of briar shall come up myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. I think that is literal. We've seen these hymns uh, in this uh, passage. Uh, in, in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 42, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it. So there's all the animals of the sea fill, uh, singing the praises of God. The coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voices. The villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. That would be Gentile country, by the way. Isaiah 44, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. This is a, an exodus that is unlike the exodus from Egypt. From Egypt they left, and as they were leaving, they were chased by an army. It was... Uh, full of trepidation. It was full of stress. Once they crossed the Red Sea, they encountered thirst. They encountered hunger. This is a different kind of an exodus. This is an exodus that is all of joy and the entire way is glorious. It is beautiful. A second exodus for Israel. He will transform. We, we see passages where he will cause waters to flow out of the mountains. And he will cause the desert to be a forest. It would be a glorious transformation of the world. So God's word is powerful. It is always effective. It never returns empty. It accomplishes everything that he intends. Everything he has spoken of will be accomplished for those who have come to him, called on him, forsaken their wicked ways. I remember once uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and after a bunch of people left him, he said, are you going to leave me too? They said, um, where shall we go? You have the words of life. God's word transforms lives. It gives life. God's word has promised the transformation of the earth and the land for Israel. The gospel has been the same throughout the ages. Repent and believe. It's always been the same. They look forward to the coming of the Messiah. We look back and we know his name, Jesus of Nazareth died for our sins, lived a perfectly righteous life for us, uh, rose from the dead, and he is coming again. Come to him. Forsaking your sin, come to him. Trust him. You will be a Christian. You will be safe in Jesus Christ. Uh, God's ways are higher than your ways and my ways. In terms of purity, yes. Sin, uh, he knows no sin. He is righteousness. 
but also in terms of mercy and graciousness, his ways are so much higher than our ways. Whatever you think that God can't forgive, whatever you think that is just simply asking too much, his ways are infinitely above the best, most gracious, most merciful human being you know. This word, this message of the gospel is true. It will never fail, and it will never cease to bring forth fruit in lives. Find your voice. Be involved in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, we recognize who you are. Creator, righteous, holy, far above us in purity, moral purity. Full of love and mercy. And Father, you are so inviting to sinners. You made us in your image, and you do not just cast that image aside. You seek to redeem us and to bring us back into fellowship with you. You gave your son to live a righteous life as God, but also a human being, so that he could be our representative in his righteousness. He died a punitive death as God and as human beings so that uh, his punishment can be our punishment. And you've laid out these beautiful terms in your system of jurisprudence. You've said that all who will trust him will be given his righteousness, credited, imputed with his righteousness. Father, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your goodness to us. Help us to rest secure in this. Help us to share it with boldness, knowing that sharing the gospel will never return void. In Jesus' name, amen.